Welcome to the Art of Being a Mum podcast, where I, Alison Newman, a singer, songwriter and Aussie mum of two, enjoys honest and inspiring conversations with artists and creators about the joys and issues they've encountered while trying to be a mum and continue to create. You'll hear themes like the mental juggle, changes in identity, how their work's been influenced by motherhood, mum guilt, cultural norms, and we also stray into territory such as the patriarchy, feminism, and capitalism. You can find links to my guests and topics we discussed in the show notes, along with a link to the music played, how to get in touch, and a link to join our supportive and lively community on Instagram. I'll always put a trigger warning if we discuss sensitive topics on the podcast, but if at any time you're concerned about your mental health, I urge you to talk to those around you, reach out to health professionals or seek out resources online. I've compiled a list of international resources which can be accessed on the podcast landing page, alisonnewman.net slash podcast. The Art of Being a Mum would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and water which this podcast is recorded on as being the Boendick people in the Berrin region of South Australia. I'm working on land that was never ceded. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. It is a pleasure to have you here from wherever you're listening around the world. My guest this week is Edwina Masson. Edwina is a musician and a mum of one based on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia. Edwina was born in Brisbane and she moved around five states before she was 10 years old. It was these changes in location and schools that created the instability in her life, but the constant was the music that she listened to with her family. Musicians like Paul Kelly, Led Zeppelin, The Who, Ella Fitzgerald and classical music. Edwina credits this time as the reason she gravitates toward music to cope with stress and changes in emotions. She started composing music when she was in year five using garage band and began to develop a love of harmony. During high school, she was music captain and she sang, played clarinet and double bass. After high school, she decided she was going to be a singer, much to the surprise of her family, and she went on to study performing arts at uni and also became a lecturer. Edwina describes her current musical style as a vocal loops artist. She creates songs with many, many layers, sometimes up to 50, using her voice as the instrument and creating emotionally dense music, which goes on a journey and often without lyrics. While Edwina was experiencing a particularly traumatic pregnancy in 2020 and 2021, she began searching for music that would support her experiences and she couldn't find it. So Edwina began to write music, the music that she needed to get through, initially only meant for herself, but on realising that others could benefit from it too. In 2022, Edwina released the album Birth of a Mother. It's the music that she wishes she had accessible to her at the time of being pregnant. Edwina's also recently created the Live Loops Choir in the Noosa Hinterland, a non-audition, any ability singing group to be able to perform the music she loves in a live setting. And if you're in the neighbourhood, I encourage you to check it out. I've put the link in the show notes. Today's episode does get quite full on at times, just letting you know that it contains mentions of a traumatic pregnancy and birth 
and postnatal depression and also mentions of miscarriage. Throughout this episode, you'll hear snippets of Edwina's music, particularly from the album Birth of a Mother, and I encourage you to check it out too. Again, the link's in the show notes. It's just beautiful music and it just soothes your soul. No matter what stage you're in, whether you are a new mother or pregnant, or you've got kids that are 15 years old. It really speaks to all of us. Thank you so much for listening. I know you're going to love this episode and take care. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it's absolutely my pleasure. It's lovely to to put a face to the sounds. Like, I mean, I've seen you on Instagram, obviously, oh. but to speak to you after listening to to your incredible music, it's it's really really lovely to meet you. Oh, that's so that's so sweet. I get that. You know what? I actually get that more often than you think because the yeah. people listen to my music, and I don't actually it's really interesting as a musician, like you put music out and you kind of think that like no one's listening to it. And then you, it's just like, it's just for me. And then some of you are like, you're the person. And I'm like, yeah, like <laughs> I'm such, my music sounds so deep. And then you meet me and you're like, you're a dork, Edwina. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So whereabouts are you at the moment? Where, where are you? What town Where in the world in? are we? That's a really good question. We are currently on the Sunshine Coast in mm-hmm. Queensland in Australia. And we've been here, I think, for about seven months now. Seven months we've been living here and it's just so beautiful. It's yeah. so beautiful. I um, We used to come up for a couple of years in a row, we came up to Caloundra for a family holidays. Mm-hmm. And I just, I loved it up there. I just loved it. And we loved it so much. We went to exactly the same place two years in a row. We just loved it so much. It's like, why if do we need to go anywhere broke. else? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. We're in like yeah. the kind of like the Noosa hinterland. Oh, yeah. So we're, yeah, and it's just where yeah, it's so beautiful. It's like I spent years just like dreaming about living in like a rainforest and mm-hmm. we do now. And it's just, oh, I look out my window every day and I feel so lucky. So we are yeah. so happy to be here. Yeah. Do you have all those, um, I don't know what sort of birds they are, but I'd never heard them because like, I'm from Mount Gambia, right down south. Um, and there's these birds like they made like a whipping a whipping yes. sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the lyre birds, like the oh. yeah, and they have they're like the rainforest bird. Yeah. And you, yeah, that we do have them. And you can go out on the balcony first thing in the morning and you can hear them. And it is just like you are transported to deep rainforest when you hear those birds. So mm-hmm. yeah, we, we do have them and they're spectacular. Yeah. No, I love that. I love yeah. And the other thing I remember about being up there was that it got uh, the it got light a lot earlier than what it does at home. And so like you'd be woken up with these the beautiful bird song and it was just like, oh my gosh. And then you'd see like we're staying at the beach, so you'd see the ocean. It was just like why do we live where we live? Like we need yeah, to be here. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's like both a blessing and a curse that the sun rises so early. Like the sun yep. rises before five. Yeah. Like at the yep. moment the sun is, I can see the sun starting. Like it gets light at like 4.50. Yeah. Right. Um, 
and like I know that because my child wakes up at at that time so I'm so this before the sun is even like awakened my child's like it's gonna rise in the next 10 minutes mum so I'm I'm ready for it yeah Yeah. (laughs) he's like I'm just beating it yeah (laughs) gotta be there ready to give it away when it comes out oh that's gorgeous So you're a singer, a songwriter, mm-hmm. performer. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you first get into music? Wow, that is a great question. I grew up moving a lot. So I was born in Brisbane and then we moved states five times before I was 10. Oh, wow. And yeah, and uh, I didn't have a lot of stability in like the home that we were living in or the friends that I had. Um, and so something that was always really constant in my life was the music that we listened to as a family. Yep. It was always like Paul Kelly and Led Zeppelin and The Who and Ella Fitzgerald and classical music. And that was like such a core memory of stability and safety for me that I think that really had an impact on when I was getting older, what I gravitated towards to cope with stress and to cope with emotion. Mm-hmm. And I think I was about... Oh, I was about 10 and we, and we just moved to Western Australia and I remember going into year five and singing, just like singing in class. And it was the first time that a, a, like a kid had told me that I had a good voice. And I was like, what do you mean? My family tell me that I sound like a dying cat. <laughs> like literally they would say that. And then I had all these kids being like, oh, you can really sing. And then suddenly I was like, oh, that's the thing. Like in my mind, it was the thing that set me apart. So my, I had, I kind of developed a slightly unhealthy attachment to singing for a long time of like, it was my entire self-worth. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just kept singing. And then when I graduated high school, I was like to my parents, I'm going to be a singer. And like the shock and horror on their faces of, oh dear Lord, how <laughs> is she going to make this work? Cause they yeah. barely knew that I was like a singer. I was always playing clarinet and double bass, but I never told them that I was a singer until the end of year 12, even though I was like music oh. captain, sung yeah. in choirs, I sung oh. solo at school all the time. Like I just never told them, oh, by the way, I actually sing all the time. Yeah. Right. Um, so they had when, this image in your head of this dying cat singer. Yeah, and they're thinking, yeah, they're they're really, do they, they really had very little clue that I was as good as I was. Yep. Um, and I remember them, I vividly remember singing at like the high school, entire school uh, presentation night at the end of the year at this big old like theatre and them hearing me really for the first time sing with like a 70 person choir behind me. And I remember mm. afterwards them being like, are you kidding? <laughs> like what do you mean that you have been singing and being taught for like what why didn't you want to tell us and it was like a whole thing of like me just not telling them that I was a singer because didn't want them to tell me that I sounded bad oh yeah and so yeah. then I yeah and so then I went into performing arts university and that was an experience and then I lectured and mm-hmm. yeah that was kind of how it all started for me yeah right
something that's really big for you is harmony, which mm. is I love because I've spent so many years of my life part singing and I just adore mm. it. Um, when did you first sort of start to recognise harmony as an actual thing and start to fall in love with it? Well, I started writing instrumental music before I ever started singing. So I yeah. was I was in year five and my family had just gotten like the first Apple computer and I remember GarageBand being mm-hmm. on there and it was free and I was like, oh, my gosh, you mean I can pl- like I can just make music? And I would spend hours on there just like bashing the typing keyboard as like a piano keyboard, just writing different parts and different and that's when I started really I had no idea what harmony was I didn't know what (laughs) intervals or anything like that was but I remember I listened to classical music growing up and I had listened to such amazing artists that it was already like clicking inside of my system well this this sounds good and like this does not sound good and (laughs) so it was really very young that I started realizing that I loved harmonies and then I sung in choir in school and I always just had this obsession with like harmony was the tool that you could use to express emotion and not need words. Mm. And that to me, when I was growing up was uh, very important because I didn't necessarily want to talk about what I was feeling or there wasn't, wasn't necessarily a space for me to be able to talk about how I was feeling. And Mm. harmony was this tool that I was able to use to be like, I am feeling angry or I'm feeling such pain or such joy and not have to actually with words say those things. Um, so it definitely was like my own form of therapy for many years. Yeah, right. Mm. That's a, I've never actually thought of it that way, but that is so true. It's like it evokes so much in you when you hear these particular, you know, chords and constructs of notes. That's really incredible. Yeah, thanks was, for was, thanks for sharing that. That's a really good so, one. You're so welcome. It was it was honestly, I remember being like the melody, like in contemporary singers today, the thing I always talk to my students about is like your lyrics should only be doing 50% of the work. Your melodies and the harmonies that support the lyrics that you're using should be doing a like, if you took away the lyrics, does your melodies actually say anything? Mm. And that was the massive thing for me is like, I spent so much time being like, how can I communicate how I feel without ever having to say one word? And harmony was such an amazing tool to Mm. use. So it was like a low key obsession of mine. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm pleased because mm. you're very you've got a very um it's like an innate natural mm. ability, which I love. I think that's Thank awesome. Because I think sometimes you can't teach that stuff. I know you can. Yeah. You can actually teach it, but just to get it, like um I had no formal training in harmony. My dad used to listen to a lot of country music. So Johnny yeah. Cash, John yeah. Denver, of course, all male, like male yeah. voices. Yeah. And I have an alto voice, but it's not that low, you know. Um, it's not Johnny Cash. <laughs> Hello, uh, Johnny Cash. Um, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah, thankfully. Um, so, yeah, I I developed a way to sing along to his songs in the car because I couldn't sing the tune in their, mm. in their, in their, what is it? Their, the, their vocal range, their, yes, the, their register. That, in that register, that's the word I'm after. And I couldn't sing it up the octave because my voice was too low. So I started to sing harmony harmonies without knowing what it was just to be able to join in and sing the songs because I love the song so much. Yes. Um, and the, that's just. I did that too. Oh, and it's like you, I, I'd never been taught it and I never knew the words for it until years later when people started explaining to me, oh, you're singing in thirds or you're mm-hmm. singing in whatever's. And I was like, oh, that's nice. 
I'm glad I know what that means, but I have. That's cool. It's not going to change what I do, you know. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's worked really great because my sister and I have sang together for years as a duo. And I just naturally take the harmonies because it's like, mm. you know, it's just there in your body sort of thing. And you hear and it. And some people are much, some people's ears are, are definitely more receptive and perceptive of harmony. And they mm-hmm. find it a lot easier to hear for sure. In like when I was lecturing, you could really tell the musicians whose ear was more sensitive to harmony. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was something that, and it usually came down to the type of music that they'd listened to growing up. Yeah, like right. If, they were listening to music, like country music. A lot of country music has a lot of harmony in it, like particularly a lot of like uh, country groups. Their whole bunch yes. of their – it's so harmony dense in regards to yep. like there will be three parts singing a melody. Like yes. It, yep. So it is really interesting seeing how the music you grow up with hugely influences where your strength will lie if you are um, interested in being a musician. Mm. Yeah, yes, that's yes. really cool. That's really cool. Um, the other thing I find, I do find it frustrating though, because when you've got that ear and you're used to picking notes and hearing things, when you hear something that's not quite right, it really oh. frustrates you. Oh, don't even. <laughs> Honest to God. It's like, oh, it's a blessing and a curse being yeah. so trained in music. <laughs> I, I could, honestly, I remember I went through a phase probably when I was at university and I was studying it for literally like eight, nine hours a day. I was yeah. studying music. And it got to a point where I went definitely went through like a snobby snobby phase yeah. of being like, "What do you mean? You're singing flat, and it feels like it's like you know the um, the pee in the mattress, yes. you know, like the old yes. little story tale." Yeah, yeah. It, it felt like that. I would hear everything. I yeah. would hear if something was flat. I would hear if it didn't match up. I would hear if the harmonies weren't following like the same vibrato. Like my ear was so yeah. trained that I, for a while I actually couldn't enjoy a lot of music. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And it, I actually, when I remember when I graduated, I actually had to take a step back and be like, Edwina, why did you start singing in the first place? Because it wasn't about the academics. Yeah, it was yeah. it was truly about how it made you feel. You just have the tools to express how you feel better now. But like, yeah, I I definitely I <laughs> resonate with what oh you're saying. Yeah. So I remember listening to other musicians and being like, they can't even sing. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, now I'm not. I don't think that at all now. Yeah. But I definitely went through that phase. Oh yeah. Because you know. like I often think about the fact that like if I wasn't as good as I was, I wouldn't be up there because I'm so judgmental on myself that like I I used to have a habit of judging others with the same lens that I judged myself, and because mm-hmm. they would never level up to what the capabilities of myself I was like why do you think you should be up there um, yes so yep, definitely I can relate to that yeah yep. it's it takes it takes a while to unpack it for sure so I, yep. I I understand that yes and I personally had to let go of a lot of like jealousy like mm. oh how come they get to do it I can do this why can't I do it and over the years I've gotten very good at just going you know what it's not nothing to do with you Alison this is this yep. person this is where they are in their life and their yep. journey and you have no idea where they come from or what they're doing. Mm. And I've just gotten really good at like going, that's good on them. I'm really pleased for them. That took a well, lot we're of work. All, <laughs> it's really hard as like a, a musician when, uh, for my personal experience, when I was studying, it was such a competitive environment mm-hmm. that you couldn't help, like it did, that you weren't told that there was room enough for everybody. Yeah. And that space yep. existed for everyone. So you would, it was like inbuilt in you to become judgmental and to become competitive and to become yep. this 
this thing where you believe that, you know, if you didn't get that opportunity, then you will like, you were missing out on the break on the, on the next opportunity. Um, and I definitely went through that. We literally got ranked when I was at university. Yeah, We would, and the top four singers would get all the opportunities. And I was lucky to always be in that top four. But mm-hmm. I remember the, like, I remember the levels that I, like, how much I worked to be in that top four and how I had massive burnout at the end of studying because yeah. of it. Yeah. So it definitely, like, if, if the music industry breeds you for competitiveness and it actually takes active, un, like, undoing to just allow someone to sing and not judge them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I um, grew up doing a Steadfords. They Mm. used to put me in a Steadfords from a very young age. And I think it's the worst thing that ever happened to me because I just then continued to go through life thinking I was being judged all the time. All the time. Yep. 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 I still work through that stuff. Yeah. And and you, you have an expectation that whatever, whatever this person tells you must be right because they're Mm. the adjudicator, you know, and it took me took me years until someone said to me, Alison, are you going to let one person's opinion make, like change your opinion of yourself? Are you going to let that one person have that much control over you? And I just went, um, yeah, no, that's what I've been doing since I was like, I don't know. A young child. Yep. Like, and, yeah. and music is so, um, beauty is in the eye of a beholder. Every person will like a particular type of music and like a particular type of voice better. So it's yep. really hard. I remember when I was lecturing how hard it was to mark someone on their skill um, because it's like I I always knew that I had biases to the types of voices that I liked. Mm -hmm. So I had to really actively be like, okay, if I take away my own bias, how do they technically, like when we're looking at technique, how's their technique? Because there are some vocal tones that I just love and there are others that I am uninterested in. Mm. Um, So it is a really... That's why studying music um, is so weird. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have memories of like, but just before I said for the started, like the rumors, room, excuse me, the rumor mill would start up about who's the adjudicator and what sort of voice do they like. Mm. And then when we knew that they liked sopranos, all us altos would go, oh, stuff this, you know, what? Yeah. Why do we bother? You know, if it'd get you down right from the start, you know, you'd go out yep. there just thinking, well, they're not going to like me because they like sopranos, you know. Yep. So that, yep. that, kills a little person's head and you know it mm. took me took me till I was um I was certainly in my young adulthood to actually mm. say to myself you know I don't need to do this anymore like yeah no one's making me do this anymore why yeah. am I doing this I'm actually so thankful that I didn't do a lot of those things when I was that young singing yeah. was something that was so incredibly like personal and like uh, sacred to me from a very yep. young age and I I didn't have singing lessons until I got into performing arts university because of the fact that I was always like I don't want someone else to taint this this thing that I have yeah. but I was so young and I recognized that I recognized that's pretty that, awesome yeah it, and then when I started university I was like my song my voice is the audible version of my soul I will protect it with my life Mm. because it meant so much to me. And I think that's the reason why I didn't want to have singing lessons in high school because I knew someone was going to come in and uh, like, I was just learning my voice. I was just like in this point in time where I didn't want to compete for it. I didn't, I, like, I just knew, but then I went to university and it was like, oh wow, like whiplash of suddenly coming into a highly competitive environment, being 
so un- like I was so untrained, but I was yeah. really passionate about it. So I was able to pick things up very quickly. And it went from being therapy to being a sport. Mm. It was yeah. it was a real a real change for me. And it took I, I wanted to quit so many times because I was yeah. like, I don't love this anymore. Mm. This isn't why I started singing. Yeah. And I remember just my lecturer who was spectacular telling me, you know, you have to think of these simply as tools that we're trying to teach you so that you can access your therapy even more um, specifically. So I can sing with more nuance and I can um, have more vocal range to communicate how I'm feeling. And I had to come back to that so many times because otherwise Mm. it just wasn't worth it. It just wasn't worth it. It was like... Could you, you, were you really protective of that because you you thought people were going to try and change what you had? Well, I would listen to people's voices change, like really Mm -hmm. change. I was like, this is not you anymore. Or, and I came later came to learn a lot about placement and how placement affects tone. And, and I would hear singers mimic other singers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's no longer you. Like you're manipulating your placement to sound like someone else. And therefore it means that you're not actually authentically singing your voice and your, Mm -hmm. like your story. And that was something for a really young age that I was like, that's, that's, I'm not, I'm not willing to do that. Yeah. That's actually one of my pet peeves in, Mm. in singers is people who manipulate their voice to sound a particular way. Um, It just really makes me just, I just think. And then when they're successful at that, and then I've got to pull this back in, I think that's not even you. Yeah. So, yeah because I like we go through off. stages as a society as being told this is the voice, like Christina mm-hmm. Aguilera. My gosh, you had millions of young white children, yes. young white females trying to sound black yep. because of Christina Aguilera. Christina yep. Aguilera had multiple vocal health issues because of her terrible technique Mm. in her lower part of her range. She can no longer belt as high as she could because Mm. of how she treated her voice. Yeah. Um, So it was definitely, I remember being like, I want to be Christina Aguilera. Like when I was at, (laughs) when I was really young and then I was like, well, this hurts. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That's easy. I can't do this. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, definitely I, I think about that often and I just I'm thankful to the younger version of myself who was really protective of it mm. because I probably wouldn't still be singing if I had been in a Stedford because I cannot compete when it comes to voice. Like oh. I just I can't do it. I can't do it. I used to do piano and I did one concert and I would never do it again. Yeah. 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 It just it just takes out, like you said, this the soul of things. Like mm. it's just I don't know. It's I I've I hate them and I, I hate them with a passion and I wish, I mean, I guess it's taught me something. Yeah, <laughs> you definitely would have gotten skills. I've learned, yeah. I've learned something out of it. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't that great. But anyway, enough of that. Tell me about your album that you released last year, which is amazing. Oh, thank you. That um, was a birth of a mother, yes, wasn't it? Yes. So I wrote those songs when I was pregnant with my son in 
2020. Yeah, 2020, I like started writing songs in 2021. Um, and for me, they literally those songs were only ever meant for me. It was, I had a really tough pregnancy. Um, I had hypermesis gravidarum. Oh. I had every everything under the sun when it comes to like side effects I used to get pregnancy hives my vocal cords were so swollen because of how much I was throwing up yeah right it was the like it was so dark that period of time and I remember being like where is the music that is specifically for someone like myself Mm. like where is the music that is for someone who is terrified of becoming a mother even though they want it so much or terrified of birth um I just needed like a an audible birthing stick like that's what Mm -hmm. it felt like to me I just needed to write these songs to help me feel supported and so that's what I did and because I couldn't work because I couldn't my vocal stamina was so affected by the sickness Mm -hmm. I had a lot of time um to slowly record these songs and I listen back to the vocals like the lead vocals on some of those songs and I'm like oh man you can hear the fatigue like I know my voice well enough and it's like I can hear the fatigue I can hear just how hard I found that period of time in my life um Mm. and so I they were just the biggest support for me and that's why I decided after like after I I think I was pretty pregnant when I started releasing the songs not on Spotify um and I remember other women being like oh my gosh thank you because Mm -hmm. like I was never really into mantra music or like the those types of things I was like I wanted to feel contemporary enough that someone who's not spiritual at all Mm. can listen to it and not be like what is this Um, yeah yeah and so it was like bringing my very like specific type of writing into a space where I was like 50% of the population of a mother's or um, mothering or parenting mm. um, or birthing babies. And there was like no music just for them. Mm. I was like, Oh my gosh, yeah. how, 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 how? And so I <laughs> I was just, I just, I couldn't yeah. get over that. I was like, once again, they're so underrepresented mm. as mothers yeah. in, like, I know there are so many female mother artists, but where mm. is the music that is actually for them? And yeah. so that's why I created the music. And then last year I was finally like, I just need these to exist in the world. Like I just need them to be somewhere yeah. easy, even though it doesn't make me money um, <laughs> because Spotify is Spotify. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I was just like, it just has to exist somewhere because like, I just got to a point where I was like, it's not just for me. It's bigger than me. Mm. It's just bigger than me. Um, And so that's why they're on Spotify now. And I just love the album. I still go back and listen to it. I still go back and listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like for for those who haven't heard it, how do you, how can you describe, because it is very unique. Yes. The way that you, you put things together and you add your layers. Can you just describe how you do it? Maybe your process of how you put it together. Yeah, so essentially I'm a vocal looping artist. So I create songs 95% just with my voice. So essentially it is a song where every instrument that you might hear in a normal track is my voice in my music. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, I don't know genre in regards to my music. Like yeah. it really is really hard to 
but it definitely has influences of many different styles. Um, Enya was one of my all-time, to this day, favourite artists and has been probably one of the biggest influences in the way that I write. Um, But, yeah, that's how I would kind of, I would say it's like a mix of Enya with, gosh, I don't even know. That's a really hard thing. I used to be really good at describing what I did when I wrote, like, pop music <laughs> and now I'm just like you have to hear it to yes, know it you literally have to hear it. <laughs> um but it is it's very vocally dense harmonically dense music um that takes you on quite the emotional journey mm, absolutely now that's a great way of describing it Did you make a a sort of a considered decision to not include instruments in your work? Was it like this is this is, you're taking ownership of this yourself? Yeah, it was. I I when I first started like performing, I had an eleven piece band. I had yeah. a big band. I had three horns, three backing vocalists. It was like the full shebang. Yeah. And the first EP I ever released was was that. It was massive. And then I remember mm, finding it so hard to ever do gigs or to ever like, it was just a really difficult thing. And I remember being like, mm, these instruments aren't even accurately doing or playing what I exactly want in my head because they're all bringing their own personality and their own filter to the songs. Um, And I remember just starting to do vocal. I started vocal looping when I was 17 and I'm 29 now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started vocally exploring harmony and rhythm with my voice a long time ago. And I think I was 21 or 22 when I started writing just vocal music. Um, and it took me a really long time to accept that that's what felt most authentic for me as a musical expression. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was always like, this doesn't fit anywhere in music. Mm-hmm. Like, this doesn't, it didn't fit anywhere. I was never going to end up on radio in the radio stations that I dreamed of. Like I really grappled with that for a long time mm-hmm. um, because I was like, this just isn't like anything else I've heard. And yeah. I didn't know where it would fit. So it took me a really long time to just be like, well, this is, this is me. Like this mm. is, this is what goes on in my brain. And I just remember getting to a point where I was like this, I have to honor the fact that if I'm going to be a musician, I am going to be an authentic musician yeah. And this is what it's going to have to sound like. And it might not be for everybody, but I can go back and listen to this music and know exactly how I was feeling and hear every single vocal harmony and know that it was placed there because my brain was like, it needs to be placed there. Mm, so intentional. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. It was really intentional. And it's like, I love collaborating with others. However, I always loved being able to have a bit of a control freak probably. Um, yep. I liked being able to control where everything sat and the, I knew that I could sing certain things better than other singers. And when it was my song, I wanted to be able to exactly replicate my harmony, exactly replicate like my vibrato on certain things Mm -hmm. so that it would, wouldn't each part doesn't necessarily stand out by itself. It kind of feels like a wall of sound. 
Um, yeah. And so I, yeah, I just practiced and did that and just wrote. And I look back at the first vocal looping songs that I ever recorded in my bedroom and it's like three layers. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> and yeah. now you, now you look at my recorded files of my songs and it's like minimum 40 to 50 layers oh, of stuff. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> so everything gets doubled and we pull yeah. things to the left and pull things to the right. And yeah. there's parts that exact like work exactly just as rhythmic stuff and and to me I was just like oh this just feels so cool to like okay so my two biggest influences are en Enya and Bobby McFerrin ah um, yeah right yep I studied him when I was uh studying at university and he had such a huge impact on me because his range was phenomenal and mm -hmm. his ability to Oh, I just had never heard anyone like that. And I went so, I dove so deep into his vocal past. And that's why I was like, oh my gosh, I have to try and replicate that on a looper because mm -hmm. I couldn't sing as low as him. Um, yeah. And that's kind of how it really like that love affair of like being able to it just be voice because his was just voice. You would hear him collaborate yeah. with other musicians and he would be singing the bass line while a double bass player was playing a like a, some type of melody. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, holy moly like that just blew my mind like it was just yeah. had such a profound impact on me so those two together is kind of how I ended up with what I do now from that I want to mention yes. the when you talked about having to sort of have this I don't want to call it an existential crisis but literally mm. deciding between what was genuine and authentic for you to present mm. as your music mm. and what I think what music industry or being in the music environment tells us our mm. end goal is we have to be heard we have to be on radio we have to get our break we have to do this you know it's fighting yeah. against all of that yeah, it's it's pretty hardcore. I really had a hard time with it. I, when I go back in my own catalogue of music, you literally see the evolution of that crisis of yeah, right. me starting to write with that eleven-piece band and then moving into one like almost electronic music, and that was the moment where I was like, "You've gone too far off. Like you've gone too far away from." I was singing lead vocals on like EDM tracks, like like club bangers. Yep. And I was like, you have gone so far away from where you're meant to be. Mm -hmm. And because I had health issues, I remember thinking to myself, you only can sing a certain amount of hours a day. You only have the energy to do so much creation. If you're going to do it, it needs to be something that you would love and it mm. needs to be something that makes you feel like truly seen and truly heard and that was something I was so passionate about is is what I'm putting out into the world is that is that me mm -hmm. is is that me and the more that I practice and that's why I always say to people you know your first thing doesn't have to be this thing that gets you your followers that gets your big break whatever that means to you like just mm -hmm. start because yep. I look back and I'm like, I'm so happy I recorded that music and released it because I, you can literally see the evolution of myself as an artist Mm. and trying to work hard to get to a place where the music I'm releasing most accurately reflects my internal state. 
Mm. And I remember when I finally got there, it just like, that was the vocal loop. It was just like, it clicked. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, this is it. Like, this is me. This is all the, everything I hear in my head, I can finally create something that like, that everyone else can listen to. Because even when I was with the 11 piece band, I'd be hearing so much more in my mind that was never going to be able to be played yep. um, by another instrument. And other singers would were having trouble hearing the harmonies or I couldn't have 17 singers on stage with me. Yeah. So I, I, just, <laughs> I just couldn't do that. It was just, I couldn't get paid any money doing that. Like I yeah. just, there was no, <laughs> just, yeah. you know, there was just no money. In it. So if it was just me on stage with my looper, one, I would actually make money. Um, and two, I was able to have ultimate freedom and ultimate control yep. and not have to worry about someone else keeping up with me. And it was just mm-hmm. like, oh, that's what it felt like. This felt like such yes. a big sigh of relief. That's what yep. it definitely felt like. Yeah. I can relate to that on a slightly different level, but same sort of thing. I, I do have control issues. My sister's listening. She'll be nodding her head right now. Because um, <laughs> I, I, I'm the same, I hear things and I know how I want it to sound. And I'm getting better at I mean, I, I think I, I won't say I've totally got over it, but I don't have to do it all. Like mm. it doesn't have to all be me. But when I, I spent 20 years singing in a vocal group and towards the end it was just, it had gone from this massive choir to like we'd, we'd I was involved in like the committee stage of things mm-hmm. and we'd, we'd turned it into four or five um, sort of niche groups. So I was mm-hmm. in this this group of there were six of us and we were, we were doing part singing. And I guess every group's got to have a leader. And it wasn't me, which was fine because I didn't want to lead, but I wanted to have my ideas heard and I wanted to be mm. able to say, actually, can we do it like this or can we try it at this tempo or whatever? But the personality clashes made it really hard to do that. So yeah. I just went, I'm not doing this anymore. And I didn't do yeah. any anything except for I turned myself into a soloist and just yeah. got my own backings, got all my own gear, just made it possible that I didn't have to organise rehearsals with people I could do everything how I wanted so I basically just went no this this is too much for my head anymore and around that time you know my my first son was I want to say he was about seven Mm -hmm. we're thinking about having another one and it was like no this is just too much and so I just brought it all the way back to me and then gradually I added my sister back in because I felt comfortable that we could communicate and and do things together but it's like I don't know you just get to that moment where you just go this isn't me anymore yeah, and I think it's like you have to give yourself permission to be okay with that. Mm. Like I, I remember accepting that my music will, may not live in the spaces that we are told music should live in. Mm. Um, and I remember being like, you know what, it's okay if it doesn't end up on this radio because I'm not the type of person that listens to the radio like that anyway. Mm. Like I had to really yeah. get so clear on what if I was to be a musician my whole life, if I came out the end of it, what do I want to feel like I have done for myself? And am I proud of where my music has existed? Am I I creating music that actually helps people and makes people feel things? Or am I writing music for a record label? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I I really came back to like, oh, I need, this is, I came back to that little like 10 year old girl who wrote music because it was therapy. Mm-hmm. It was, that's what I always came back to. I was like, I want to be able to look back on, on to her and be like, I, I kept, 
I kept going with that. I, mm. Music was first and foremost an emotional expression for me. And yep. anyone who gets to enjoy it is like, you're welcome. Like, yeah, <laughs> but first exactly. and foremost, yeah. I, write, I write for me. I sing for me. I perform for me. Um, and it just happened to be that the moment I found the most authentic expression of myself was the moment where people were like, oh, I love it. <laughs> that was that was a really interesting moment it's like when I and I, I know it doesn't happen for everybody but for me personally it was like I just had this perfect culmination of like sound like the sound that I was producing people were looking for mm, um yeah and I'm so thankful for that but it in, in the end even if I didn't have that I can listen to my music and be proud that I did it for myself yeah yeah absolutely I love that you're listening to the art of being a mum with my mum Alison Newby. You talked about being pregnant. Mm. How old is your little boy now? He is two in May. So, yeah. yeah, he's wild. I was going to say fun times. Oh, my gosh. My child <laughs> has been wild since the moment he was conceived. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. I could not prepare myself at all for that journey. Like, it was. It has been the baptism of fire over and over again with yeah. my beautiful, beautiful son. <laughs> he's just so wild. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he's, yeah, it's been big. It's been a big, big journey from being sick my whole pregnancy. He went to 42 weeks. He was, oh. yeah, oh, yeah, he was 42 he wasn't weeks. coming out. No, he was very happy and I was in severe pain. Like my body was just like, we're, we're going we're gonna to break now. Mm, yeah. <laughs> we're done. And then birth going sideways oh, in dear. regards to, yeah, it didn't go to plan. Um, And then our postpartum with Fergus was, Honestly, I didn't think between po like pregnancy and birth, I, I thought they were going to be the two hardest experience, but it was our postpartum. It was like the first eight months with Fergus was the just the worst time in our lives easily. Mm. Um, yeah. So definitely I, I felt like I had what I suppose people call like ego deaths. I just felt like I died over and over and over becoming a mother. It mm -hmm. was just so the like hardest. Your, your identity was changing mm -hmm. so much and yeah because yeah. I barely could sing when I was pregnant and then after I um gave birth my plan was to go back to work well back to being an artist at like three months postpartum and then I had to have an emergency cesarean for our for birth um after a home tried home birth for 24 hours oh, um oh. and then we gave birth to Fergus and Fergus was a incredibly distressed child he had so much stress in his body mm. um so we spent the first almost year of his life just supporting him like he would scream and cry for about nine hours a day it was we couldn't leave the house oh, um he never was able to go into a carrier because he hated any type of um pressure on his restriction on his body um we couldn't put him in a pram until he was six months old seven months old and still to this day, he doesn't doesn't like being a pram. And then he started walking at eight months, started crawling at four months. Holy moly. Um, 
yeah, he was, we, we had the hardest time. No one could look, look after him for the first nine months of his life. Cause he would, he just had, he had a lot of trauma in his body. He came out holding his neck up, screaming bloody murder. Wow. He could, t- he could turn his head from birth. Like he was never a floppy head baby. Jeepers. Yeah. He used to, he never, he hated, sit- like I have forgotten so much. I've we've definitely blacked out a lot, but he hated sitting from the moment he was born. So he was like 10 days old and he was, his legs were straight and they wouldn't, he just wouldn't sit. Yeah. Right. Um, he had just so much tension in his body. So we had to do a lot of work with him to help him uh, basically unwind his nervous system. And that involved mm. a lot of like trauma for us parents yeah. <laughs> of listening, yeah. being with him as he expressed his emotions and we would sit with him and he was like, we knew he was fed. He, we, we'd gone every Western medicine route to mm-hmm. see if there was anything wrong. I say that in inverted commas, wrong yes. with him. Yeah. Um, and then we found aware parenting. Yeah. And right. That was the game changer. And we worked with like a birth trauma aware parenting specialist and she changed our life. It yeah. was the, yeah, it was fantastic. But Ferg was a really, really intense child. Mm-hmm. for the first yeah and he still to this day has massive feelings yeah. so I didn't sing for a year for the first year of Fergus's life I didn't didn't touch my looper at all and yeah. it was the worst time of my life easily. yeah yeah because it's literally your that identity that part of you has just disappeared mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I genuinely thought I was never going to sing again like I really thought that this was over because like Fer- I couldn't sing with Fergus because Fergus just hate like he just couldn't he wouldn't sit like he couldn't be still yeah um and he wasn't just the baby you could put in a bouncer like ever um I couldn't just put him in a carrier when he wouldn't sleep he was such a light sleeper for the first year and a half of his life um yeah. so I couldn't sing like I could never leave the bedroom and sing um so he was honestly he was like 16 months the first time I pulled out my looper yeah since- right since before giving birth um but I had honestly thought hey and my voice was so wrecked because my body was so exhausted Mm, that I I had such limited vocal range my muscles were just shot to pieces and I just it was such deep sad like I was so sad like I just remember being so sad about it like I was just like this has been my life for a decade and then some I would I had so much anger because I would watch other musicians who were mothers be able to balance both. Mm-hmm. Like they were able to take their children to their shows. Their child was able to fall asleep on their body as they practiced. I would watch them record music with their kids in the room. Mm-hmm. And I had a baby that was so angry, just such an angry and struggling child that I couldn't, we couldn't do anything. Like our life w- didn't even look remotely like it had before giving birth and so we really we really struggled and we were in lockdown and we had no family so oh man and, and that's the thing the thing that you had always gone to to work mm. through stuff with your music that wasn't accessible to you no so I, I pretty I like I had I did suffer from like postnatal depression mm-hmm. um because I had no I had nothing no not only because the pregnancy was traumatic, the birth was traumatic and our postpartum was just the worst thing in the world. Um, but also because I just had no outlet. Like I just had yeah. n- the tools that I would always use to express how I was feeling. I didn't have that anymore. Um, and it was just, it was such a dark time. Oh my gosh, it was so dark. Mm. It was just the, it was, I would, 
we're out over here being like we're one and done because the idea of going through that again is just yeah it's we couldn't we couldn't even fathom it it's just now that Fergus is almost two is the first time in years that we've been like oh hello like to my husband hi <laughs> yes. I haven't <laughs> you haven't seen you for a while <laughs> I haven't seen you for a while like oh. he slept on the couch for a whole year um yeah. it was just yeah it was very hard so I remember being him being Fergus being 16 months old and finally dusting like dusting off my looper mm. and being like oh hello old friend <laughs> yeah oh. you have a choice a choice to sing the horde of swing these moments they catch us up of our God it's up to us to keep them out of got me I nearly started bawling then mm. oh man that's tough like how yeah how did you get through it literally how did you get through it it was it was it was the toughest thing I have honestly ever been through I mm. don't even know Cam has my husband has pretty well blacked out the first four or five months of Fergus's life yeah really can't remember it um because we were in straight survival mode. Like we couldn't leave the house. Like I, we couldn't even walk up the street without Fergus catatonically screaming. Yeah. Um, and we used to sit on a bouncing ball for hours just to, to try and keep him like, that's when we were, we didn't understand birth trauma or nervous system issues. Um, and we just, it was exhausting. And I, I don't even know how we made it through. We just were like, we just have to, it was like the mantra of survive the day survive the day survive the day um and it felt like we and it's still to this day it's a lot easier now but it honestly felt like we never got a break yeah um of like Fergus was then he went from being a really distressed massive feelings child to suddenly like crawling so Mm. early and then walking so early yeah, And so it was just like we went from one thing to the next thing and he was such an angry, frustrated kid because he wanted to do everything on top mm. of like, oh, I've got so much anger and like so much feelings and you need to – and we could never pacify him. Like we, even if we tried, even if we tried, he was like, no, you mm. will hear me. Yeah. And so we used to just sit there with just him, him and, and we listened and we yep. listened to him and it was like I'm glad I took videos of it because I remember like it, it was so intense. Mm. Um. And you'd watch his little nervous system unwind. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, okay, we're probably only going to do this once because of this. Like it's it's going to get better. And I and that's when I started reaching out on Instagram and I found other mothers who had gone through a very had very similar babies to Fergus. Yeah, right. And because everybody around me, all of the friends that I had that had been having babies had were experiencing nothing like we were. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, and that was made it so hard. Because there, we didn't even know a baby like Fergus was possible mm. because we'd never seen anything like him in regards to his intensity and his stress and his body and he never sat, he was always twitching and oh my gosh. Um, and so we really, it was just, it was survive the day. Like I cried a lot at night time. Like I mm-hmm. cried, I cried the first year of his life. That was the only way. And we went into therapy. Yeah. I started going um, and seeing a therapist because we were doing so much listening to Fergus's feelings um, that we mm. just had to get that extra support. Yep. 
Um, and we didn't have family support at all. So it was just kind of like we, yeah, it was dark. Oh, my gosh, mm. it was so dark. <laughs> it's just, Honest, I don't you. even know. I don't thank even know how we made it there. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, oh man. Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely hard. And I remember the first time I met in person another mother who had a baby like Fergus and I just yeah. cried to her. Oh, just almost because relief, like it was, you understand me. It was because I, and I only met her in the last like two months because she lives over here yeah. um, and she, her experience, she gave birth to her child three days after Fergus. Oh, wow. Um, and her child, her birth mirrored our birth and then her baby mirrored Fergus. And they might, turned out that Cam and her husband had actually met each other through an aware parenting men's group online. Yeah. Um, and they, so it was like just meeting someone else who, could relate to so many aspects of our parenting experience was just mm -hmm. like incredibly healing. And I didn't know that I needed that healing before mm -hmm. until I met her in the flesh. And I was like, Oh, Oh my gosh, there's someone who truly understands. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, like when you said before about, um, sorry, I've just realized that my camera's frozen up, but yes, that's okay. I am still here. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not I can stuck hear you. in that position. I look like a, <laughs> no, um, that's fine. Yeah, like the people around you that are having babies that are um, not experiencing what Fergus was mm. experiencing, it'd be so easy for them to place judgment on your parenting as a reason why your baby's struggling. And that it would that would be tremendously unhelpful and yep. unkind, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I was pretty, I was very lucky that the, everyone around me knew that what we were going through was really different mm -hmm. um to theirs and that we were doing everything I like the, everything we did to support Fergus man I came off we first we were like it might it was a tongue tie so we had his tongue tie snipped and then we took him to osteo craniosacral therapy physio chiro naturopath I came off basically all foods other than roast vegetables and chicken for four or five months I ate yeah. that lunch and dinner yeah. We used to give him a naturopathic tonic to try and help. We thought it might be his stomach, mm -hmm. everything. I changed the way that I was breastfeeding to try and help. Oh, my gosh. We went, we did. We knew, we knew that we were doing everything possible, like within, like anything possible to try yeah. and help him. Yeah. Um. Until we got to a point where we were like, it's none of that. It's, he is stressed. Like mm -hmm. he has so much. You would look at his body. And you could tell that his nervous system was so wired. And I felt so much guilt in my body for that. Cause I was mm. like, he became like that when he was in my womb. That was definitely the, the story that I told myself for a really long time. So I definitely think that I punished myself for that. And I took on a lot more of the listening to feelings than my husband, because I was like, I did this. I have to undo it. Yeah, right. Was there a point where that became, you realised that that wasn't the truth? Um, I think over time I just was like, even if it was me, what's done is done. Like I couldn't, un like I couldn't go back and change my pregnancy. Um, also I was like, yeah, I was incredibly stressed. We, we was, it was a pandemic. There was stuff that was happening within my family on the other side of the country that I could never, I couldn't go and be with them. Um, we were told when we were pregnant that Fergus was going to have Down syndrome. Oh, um, like our pregnancy was really stressful. Yeah. Um, 
and we'd also miscarried before Fergus. And oh. so I was really stressed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so even if, uh, even if like, there are certainly so many things that I probably could have done differently, but I just got to a point where I was like, I am doing everything within my ability now to support his nervous system so that it, it can relax. Mm. I can't like, I can't keep beating myself up for what the experience was for him mm. because he's thriving now. Like I was like, yeah. I was like, Cam yeah. and I sacrificed a lot of ourselves and our relationship in that first year for Fergus to be how he is now. Yeah. I, and I often yeah. think to myself, I can't even imagine the type of child that he would be now if we hadn't supported him so much releasing the tension that he had in his body then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. your music look like now your music practice now mm -hmm. that Fergus is a little older yeah so he goes to day a family daycare two days a week um, mm -hmm. and so that's pretty much when I get to do anything outside of mothering um, because he is a full-on child I can't just set my looper up and when he's <laughs> around because he <laughs> it's just honestly and it's it would be you'd set it up so that you could have fun with your child like yeah like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I Tuesdays and Wednesdays are the days that I can actually create music, and that's the days that I do all of my art and all of my work. Um, and that's really it. Like I sometimes do it in the evenings after he goes to bed because our my office is down the other end of the house. But mm -hmm. I'm so tired by the end of the day. Like yeah. he he wakes up between four and four thirty every single every <laughs> single morning, and he he's is ready like, to go. He's so turbo. <laughs> Yeah. He is so turbo that by the end of the day, you are spent. Yeah. You're, just, you're just absolutely exhausted. So I really, I just look forward to Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And I'm, yeah. like, I, I'm like, this morning I was like, okay, I can actually like do all the things. And it, it's hard. And the thing that I have struggled with the most is the fact that I used to spend my entire week, if I had any creative idea, I could write then and there, mm. sit with it and create. And that yeah. was just oh my gosh, it was so hard for me to have to like lock in key ideas mm -hmm. and be like later, 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 later. Mm. Um, because I was that person that was like, I'd have an idea in the morning and it would be recorded in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's been something, the, the, the amount of creativity that I am able to do is significantly less, but because I think I went from so much to nothing, I, mm. two days a week feels like, absolute heaven i'm like yeah. i'll take it yeah, i'll take it i'll take it oh my god one hour fantastic like cam can take fergus out for like for an afternoon on the weekend and i just get to stay home and do like anything to do with my art and i feel like a different woman mm. 100%. yeah absolutely so it's been like yeah. hard fought to yeah. get to this and i'm i think i'm like very grateful i'm really quick at doing stuff now like even mm. quicker than i was before because i go <laughs> okay you have four hours and you have to get all this done go like yeah <laughs> yeah it's like you it's don't just stuff like a, around <laughs> yeah I don't I don't go mm, would this work I go trust the idea trust the idea mm. um and that's been so it's definitely gotten me really like 
onto it. Mm. But right now, it's two days a week that I have to do everything. That's that's my <laughs> art. Oh dear. So what sort of things are inspiring you at the moment with your with your music? What are you sort of creating about, I guess? Mm, I am definitely processing my postpartum period through my music at the moment. Mm-hmm. I am writing songs that allow me to make sense of the experience that we had um, because we are kind of through that dark tunnel of that first really almost two years of his life. I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, I need to process what we, what we went through. Like I really mm. need to, cause my body still shakes when I talk about it. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my body goes into a, like a trauma response when, um, when we talk about that whole experience that we had. And I, I recognize that for me, like therapy was great, but it didn't get everything that I needed out of my system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so right now the music that I'm recording for myself is definitely postpartum music that I'm hoping one day I can release because I know that there are other mothers that really need music that like validates the experience that they're having. Mm, Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So that's the, for myself right now, that's the music I'm writing, but I'm also writing, actually I'm writing choir music um, because I have started a choir. Yes. I I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have been, I think most singers that love the voice fantasize about either singing in a choir or having their own choir. (laughs) Um, And I was like, Oh, I'd been thinking about it for years. I was like three years ago. I was like, oh, it'd be so great to have a choir because I used to lecture. And one of the classes that I lectured in was creative arranging and voice. And we used to do a lot of choir stuff in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always like, oh, I would love to be able to transpose some of the music that I write into a choir setting to be able to hear it like live and just to be able to have other people get the opportunity to experience singing my, my arrangements. And mm. I was like, okay, so we're not in lockdown anymore. I'm not in Margaret River anymore. I don't have a newborn baby anymore. Like I think the time is now. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll probably just like run it from my house, maybe like 10 people. That'd be great. Um, and then I was like, oh, I don't have space for 10 cars. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I had a, a friend that I'd met who um, has a shop in this particular pavilion in Yamundi. Um and she was like, why don't you hold it in the pavilion? And I was like, oh my gosh, that means that can hold more than 10 people. I don't know. <laughs> and then I, and then I was like, okay, maybe I'll just make the first choir session free so that people can come and have an idea about like, what is the type of music that I would create? And we were like, let's hope for 20. And then I put the sign up form. We had 70 people. So <gasps> oh, good for you. And well I, my done. mind was blown. My mind was blown. I was like, oh, people want to sing. Mm. And I think the, the thing that I can recognize is that a lot of choirs around are for an older demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, and also a lot of the music that they're singing isn't, if you haven't sung before or if you haven't sung in a while, it can be quite daunting for a lot of people. And so my type of music that I write is it's pretty repetitive. It's looping. Mm-hmm. So the parts, once they have them, 
is very easy for them. And I wanted it to be like focused on your part might, might not be hard, but I want you to be able to understand how it fits within mm. the context of the whole song so that yep. you can actually listen to all of the other parts going on. Um, yeah. And I suppose after being isolated for so long, I was just desperate to create something that allowed me to be with other people in a creative setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of, we had our first rehearsal on Sunday and I think there was like 40, 45 people mm-hmm. um, came, which was just, wow. ama- <laughs> was just amazing. Um, and damn, they could sing. Oh, I was, I went into it being it. like, I went into being like, oh, I don't know, like, we'll see what level they're at. And yep. they picked up parts so fast. I was like, okay, I now know what type of choir I'm writing for. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's just like, kind of like a dream. And it's the first time that I'll be able to actually make money since becoming a mum. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I have not really been able to work because of Fergus. Um, and then we moved across the country and, so this is like really a really exciting and fulfilling way to actually make some kind of income for myself mm. as yeah. well, which is just like a added bonus, to be honest. Yes, yeah. I I got to admit when I when I saw that your um your Instagram like reel that you created about mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. working through that process of do you think the time's right now and then you can do? It. I was like, oh my god, I want to do that because it's like no one does that. Everyone wants to sing like just crap songs and yeah I know you know oh versions God. of pop songs it's like yep. getting back to what music is you know at its essence um yeah I had an experience years and years ago um because through our our vocal group we'd get yeah. like we'd go to places and learn things and people would come and visit and teach us things and this guy just broke it all down one day he said he said, we're not going to sing anything that we're not going to sing things with words we're not going to you're not going to know this song there's no structure to it he didn't even give a sheet music. So pe- straight away people are freaking out because this is not what we do. And he, he gave us a chord and he said, pick a note in this chord. And then he'd go over, like we had to hold it for a long time. So it was a good way to practice our, you know. Breath it control, vocal. Yeah, and listening to the person agility. next to you. Yeah. When are they going to breathe? You have to not breathe at the same time, all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. it was had its good, good things there. But then he'd just go over to one part and he'd just say, just move your note. And so people yep. looking at yep. each other like, Oh, how do I move my note? What do I do? Where do I put it? What I don't know what to do. And he's like, just yeah. trust yourself. Just, just, yeah. just move your note. Mm. And so then people would just move their note. And then he'd come over to another group and just say, now you move your note. And it was just the most freeing experience. And I still can, like, as I'm telling you, I can see it in my head. It was so wonderful. And I was like, we don't need all these bells and whistles and all this stuff that goes with it. Um, you know, it's just getting back to the essence of it. And it was amazing. Yep. And I, I think the, the thing that I recognize is that uh people feel so intimidated by singing Mm. so intimidated by singing because you know the music that you hear on the radio are either very auto-tuned or from trained singers and so there aren't many spaces that exist for them to have the opportunity to actually sing and most people can hold a note like even yeah. those that believe they're tone deaf, it's just the muscle is super underdeveloped. So the more you use it, the better your ear and vocal muscle gets. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I was just like, I want people to have the opportunity to sing something that's not a radio song that yep. where that you're expressing an emotion because you're part of a whole. Like really having that idea that you are a really important piece of this puzzle. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it might not be a hard part, but you actually have the opportunity to develop your ears and understand how your part is like the context of it. Yes. Um, yeah. Where you fit in and, yeah, and where how you fit in. You know, like how important your part is. Like yeah. I remember at one point being in, we were doing an SSAA arrangement mm-hmm. and I was the first hour show and we were literally a drone. Mm-hmm. We were yep. the drone. Honestly, but one of the most important parts. My yep. God. Yep. Yes. Yep. And, and I, I remember, say that all the time. Yeah. I say that all the time. I'm like the drone note is literally one of the most important notes in almost every arrangement that I do because of how all the other notes are affected by that one note. Mm, it's like yeah. the the level of tension that you can create from moving parts and mm-hmm. how that one note actually influences. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Uh, There was a group on Sunday that for one song, their note was a drone note. And I was like, mm-hmm. I want you to take this opportunity to, to, to feel what this drone note actually ma- is here to make you feel. Mm. Like, why yep. is that drone note here? Like, if without it, what do the other parts sound like? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's And I, you almost notice if you listen to my music, there is almost always a drone note in the songs. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, and, it's so yeah, important. It is so important. And then um, years later, obviously years and years and years later, my son now plays the bagpipes. And Amazing. when you hear when you hear those drones fire yep. up, yep. you're like, yeah, I get this. Like, they're the heart and soul. Like, they're the bits that you know, they hold everything together. And yeah. I always hated how people would, they play like these jokes on altos, mm-hmm. like this, the joke, like um, the soprano says to the alto, um, the melody, and they go, oh, I don't get it. And they're like, yeah, of course you don't get it. Like you never get the tune, but it's like the tune is the most boring part the of most the whole thing. Part. You yep. know, it's all this underneath that just drives it. Well, it's like that's the when I think about harmony, it's like it's really easy for most singers to sing a third above, but mm-hmm. the third below is the the like the harmony that creates like the most important texture, but it's also the hardest for someone's ear to actually be able to hear. And yep. so it's like something that I always work on. It's like uh, you've got your melody and you've got your harmony above, but that harmony below is what gives like the rich texture mm. of your yep. sound. So low voices are just like so important to me because mm-hmm. of the impact that they have on a harmony because mm. it's like I when I think of harmonies I think of like a, a really important balance yep. um and if you have too many harmonies that sit higher in a register your your balance is like off put and suddenly mm. the top harmonies are starting to really ping out rather than it being like a really perfect balance yeah and I mean the yeah. only reason I am so obsessive over that is because I've spent so much time listening to harmony and mm-hmm. so much time listening to how harmony impacts me emotionally. Yep. And when I go into a song, I'm always like, how do I want people to feel when they hear this? And being able to pick notes that I know will elicit those emotions. But that just comes with like a lot of a, a lot of time. Yeah. And I think a, yeah. a, a real interest in in being able to um, express some like something audibly with no words. It's also like it's it, when when it doesn't have words, people's minds don't have to think so much, because what I often find is people who aren't necessarily singers they get really stressed about having to remember words if you're not using a book. Mm-hmm. And what I found is with uh, singers that aren't, you know, choir singers like haven't had that type of training, their head will be so down in their book trying to remember their part that they're mm-hmm. actually missing half the point of singing with other people. Yeah, that's it. Isn't it? it becomes this insular. Thing mm-hmm. that you're just focusing on yourself yep. yeah yeah and yeah. so it's that's just why i do it's like quite simply it's for them to be up and around each other yeah
when you said before um, about listening to each other, I feel mm. like that is the most underrated part of part singing. People get so um, focused on themselves, like and you mm. said about heads in books, but I could I could literally for years sing other people's parts because you spend mm. so much time working out where you fit in and perhaps why you fit in um, yeah. to, to this where, where you sit as part of this whole group. Yeah. Um, it's so important. And I think it, it teaches you so much about like life skills, you know, listening mm. to each other. When, when do you need to back off? When is it, you know, time for you to come forward and you're blending and listening to those mm. around you like that. When I said before about when you take your breath, like. Well, we're not very good at listening as a society. We're, yeah, absolutely. We're, as it's when, and like, it's really easy to see that we're not very good at listening to others because we're always thinking about the thing that we're going to say next. Mm. Um, and so it's like singing in a group it gives you the opportunity to and kind of forces you to have to listen to others and it's like it's why I make it's why I do things really specifically of not having like books to read from and making parts simple and repetitive mm -hmm. because I want to give people the opportunity to work on their listening skills um, because then they just have that like ability to be like, oh, I could switch parts. I could like, I can hear their part. If someone next to me is struggling to hear their part, I can help them find their part. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, yeah. So it, it definitely, definitely. My gosh. I remember singing in choirs and your head would be down and you'd just be following the words and yeah. I'd just be following the, the music writing on the page and I wouldn't be caring if I was singing too loud. Like that's the other thing. It's like yeah. everyone wants to be the soloist. Yeah. And it's like, you go, yeah. okay, but you're, part of a whole which means if you can't hear the altos or you can't hear mm. the sopranos then you're already singing too, you're loud. too loud yeah exactly yeah you, it teaches like you, you so much doesn't yeah. it yeah i think it's such yeah. a beautiful uh opportunity like I, I love the spaces that choirs can like the right type of choirs <laughs> mm, yes, yes. can create <laughs> put that caveat in there the right yeah. type of choirs. <laughs> oh that's so exciting i'm so pleased you're doing that i think it's a wonderful expansion of your you know sharing your I don't want to say your way of, of music, but it's like, yeah, it kind of, you know what I mean? It kind it's of, like, no, I do. It's like yeah. my, the way that I write, it's like I'm giving, yeah. like, and the thing that I was told over and over on Sunday was it's like people were really looking forward to having an opportunity to sing the type of music that I write. Yes. And that's right. what I was, yeah. like, I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's that, that meant so much to me because it's like, as we've said, I've spent so long worrying that the type of music that I write wasn't didn't fit anywhere and then to have mm. people be like oh I sing these parts at home or no, I listen to yes, these you know what yeah. I mean like yeah I, absolutely yeah. I sing I sing these harmonies by myself in the shower I'm like are you kidding me like yeah. I yeah it's just been such a beautiful um validation of what I have chosen to be as an artist yes um, absolutely and I would love to be able to, like, I would want to create a choir in San Sunshine Coast, but I want to take, like, a live loops workshop and be able to take what I do mm -hmm. to a day-long workshop somewhere in other places so, because other people would love the opportunity to sing these types of arrangements. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is really, it's a really exciting project and I'm just, like, feel so fulfilled, but it feels really, like, in alignment with what yeah. I do. Yeah, And I think that's what I've been trying to find is like, I don't want to teach people singing how to sing well. Like I don't, I have no interest in teaching technique. I'm like, there are so mm -hmm. many singing teachers out there. Like I want to create spaces where people get to experience harmony because harmony has had such a profound impact on me yeah. um, and my ability to cope with life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's one. I'm so pleased for you. Honestly, you. it's just, it's, 
sounds crap. It's making me my heart swell. You know, it's just wonderful. Yeah. I really, I'm really, really pleased for you. And I'm Thank very you. jealous that I'm not there. <laughs> I might just have to come down the coast. Oh dear. You come down a long way. <laughs> Almost right to the bottom of the of the mainland. Um <sighs> So just on that, if there's people mm -hmm. listening that are in your neck of the woods, mm -hmm. what's the best way for them to get in touch if they're interested in, in social, finding out a bit more? It would be social media. So my Instagram handle is the.edwina.masson, mm -hmm. um, M-A-S-S-O-N. That's where pretty much everything that I do, everything that I offer, all the links to all of my work is. That's mm -hmm. kind of where I play at the moment. Um so that would be the that would be the spot. And just message me or email me. And you'd like Beautiful. hit a girl up. I'm pretty yeah. I'm pretty easy to contact. <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. So we're just about to start term one. Um, so it's going to run in terms and at the end of each term, we're going to have like a little concert. Yep. Um, and so that's kind of where my focus is at creatively focus is, yeah, one thing at a time, choir, establish the choir. Yep. Fantastic. <laughs> and on that, I think it is important for people to have a goal to be, mm. to perform because yeah. I've been at times in a group where you don't have any, you're just singing and it's like, that's yep. lovely. We love it. But to be able to then actually put yourself up there is yep. like a whole new a kettle of fish you know and for people it, to get to witness the work that they've put in you know what mm, I mean I'm just like I yeah, really believe in the yeah and because then it gives other people permission to do the same mm -hmm. that's the thing it's like this isn't a bunch of people that have grown up having singing training or singing in choirs but then when you see them sing together as a group and they can see how they've improved from the start mm -hmm. of the term to the end of the term because it's important for me to be able to teach them technique and teach them how to breathe properly and teach yeah. them how to warm their voice up. It's, it would be remiss yeah. of me to like just get them singing and not care about their vocal health. Yeah, yeah um, that's it. And yeah. I even had people saying at choir, they could hear the difference in their voice from the start of that two hours to the end of the two hours because yeah. of the muscle, like because of them actually using that muscle. Yeah. Um, and it's like I want to give people the, the opportunity, one, to hear the work that these people have been putting in, but to then maybe even try it themselves. Mm, absolutely. And see that it's actually, it's not this way out scary thing that's mm -hmm. only accessible to people who've been, you know, trained in this whole elite, and, yeah. elite group of people. Yeah. yeah exactly. That's how it definitely can feel. Rubbish. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so, and then when you give people the opportunity to actually sing with other people, you realize that most people can sing. Everybody mm. has a voice. Like, yeah. Everybody like, really has a voice. That. Yeah. Every, oh, there's people I, that yeah. tell me they can't sing. I'm like, you just don't know how to use your instrument. Literally, that's me, you know. Everybody's it's just a muscle. It's a thing in your body that we all have, you know. Well, it's just like some people are born with the ability to run faster than others before they've ever been trained. And then they mm -hmm. choose because they have, uh, they're better at that, that muscle is more developed, then they might choose to become a runner. Some people's vocal cords or their ears are born more developed with more of an aptitude for music but it just because the starting point is different doesn't mean you don't have the ability to work to be as good or yeah. like whatever it's just a muscle a muscle that can that's be trained it, isn't it? it literally and and you learn that that's really obvious when when you've been a singer for a while mm. and you get some training and you go holy shit I can do this as well I didn't yes. know that you know yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah it's like I don't sound like I sounded like I did when I was 15 you know what I mean mm. like I had a good voice when I was 15 but yep. I sound nothing like I did then because I've had training so I've just yep. worked on the muscle and the more you do it the more flexibility the muscle has and the more agility it has and yeah yeah so yeah. I definitely believe in like just give it a shot and I want to create spaces that give the people the the opportunity to safely do that. Yeah. 
No, mm. good on you. That's it's so inspiring. I'm really pleased mm. for you, and I'm going to follow you. the journey along on your Instagram. I'm so much I'm fun. really really pleased for you. That's wonderful. Thank such you so pleasure much. chatting with you. It's been lovely. I feel all energised and all light and bubbly now. I feel like I need to go record something. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, on it. That's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be like, like, peace out. I'll get my recording studio open. Yeah. No, but thank you so much for having me. It is, I always value having a space, uh, op- like opportunity to share my journey and to share my story with others because I, I know that my experience and what I do can hopefully make other people feel less alone. And, mm. and so I, I am very thankful to, for, to you for having a space. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I'm, I'm frozen still, but I'm smiling. I know. I, know. I like you, your face has been frozen in some great positions. Oh, that's hilarious, isn't it? Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review, following or subscribing to the podcast or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum.